Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. <laughs> I'm Mike Barrett. <laughs> I'm the other guy. <laughs> we are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you into that conversation. What podcast number is this now? I don't know. 138? Right. One seven. Of these, one of these days, I'm going to get up my gumption, and I'm going to try to be... Mike Barrett, and I'm going to try to say welcome to Restored Gospel Podcast. We'll, we'll put that on the back burner for now. I'll see if I can do it. Corey, in the world of changes, some <laughs> things need to be stable. <laughs> no I don't changing. know if I'm qualified. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we are outside watching the sunrise and talking about Zion as we know in the Book of Mormon, the New Jerusalem. All right, so I told Corey uh, the only condition of doing this on the deck where it's very casual is I don't see your computer. This is the oasis. I don't need a computer. You <laughs> even said, put that in the show I just notes. realized there's no computer. He's I, just got a, my scriptures. He's got his scriptures, so that's fine. This is this is like on natural. <laughs> he, Corey won't bring his computer out to his deck. He's just I don't got need his, it. He's got a I Traeger got my Traeger grill, grill. <laughs> and, and hummingbird uh, feeders. Hummingbird feeders. All right, so I'm searching in Genesis. Mike had us turned off while he was searching, and I begged him to turn us back on because the sun's just coming up right now, and the birds are starting to do their thing. And if you're ever over here uh, across from Legacy Park and you want f free Internet access, look for the <laughs> FBI van, surveillance van 2, which is Corey's <laughs> network, <laughs> just, just to make the neighbors nervous, I guess. <laughs> I was I was running off of my mobile phone. I'm like, why can't I get your internet? And I, I saw this FBI surveillance van too. He's like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> so it says, Enoch and all his people walked with God, and he dwelt in the midst of Zion. Do you think that means God dwelt in the midst of Zion? My hypothesis is, was that I thought Jesus, if God was walking among them, it would have been in the form of Jesus. That, I think that's the understanding we have to get from Scripture is that, you know, for God to be on earth, we can't be like him with our flesh, so he becomes like us. That's the whole premise of Scripture, that, you know, God became flesh. And so, yeah, when it says God walked among them, it was Jesus Christ. It's It's no different than in the record of the brother of Jared, where the brother of Jared's praying about the stones and he hears God's voice and sees mm -hmm. this finger and says, did you see any more? And said, no, show yourself. And voila, here's, is it voila or voila? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but here's Jesus Christ says, hey, I'm Jesus Christ. And, um, you know, the original account of Joseph Smith's vision in the grove in his own diary doesn't have two people. It's like every other person wrote it that way, but his own account just said, I was praying, and then all of a sudden I saw this personage, and he said, behold, I'm Jesus Christ. So God walks among them. And, and even in the aspect of Adam and Eve, you know, this human form, God says, hey, this is the body of my spirit, and I am Jesus Christ. I, I, I think that's consistent all the way through. Well, <clears throat> let me read from... Uh, Genesis, uh, and this is verse 61, I don't know which, I'm in chapter 7, because this is Enoch asking God a question, and listen, listen to his response. So verse uh, 61, And it came to pass that Enoch cried unto the Lord, saying, When the Son of Man cometh in the flesh, shall the earth rest? I pray thee, show me these things. And the Lord said unto Enoch, Look, and he looked, and beheld the Son of Man lifted up on the cross after the manner of men. And he heard a loud voice, and the heavens were veiled, and all the creations of God mourned, and the earth groaned, and the rocks were rent, and the saints arose, and were crowned at the right hand of the Son of Man with crowns of glory. So there we're talking about a resurrection when Christ died. I like how he says all the creations of God mourned, mm. not creation. And as many of the spirits as were in prison came forth and stood on the right hand of God. 
and the remainder were reserved in chains of darkness until the judgment of the great day. Like so there we part. talk about um, that resurrection, that there were, there were spirits in the prison house that came forth, and where did they go? The, the best place there is, the right hand of God. Yep. And again Enoch wept and cried unto the Lord, saying, When shall the earth rest? And Enoch beheld the Son of Man ascend up unto the Father, and he called unto the Lord, saying, Wilt thou not come again upon the earth? For inasmuch as thou art God, and I know thee, and thou hast sworn unto me, and commanded me, that I should ask in the name of thine only begotten, thou hast made me, and given unto me a right to thy throne, and not of myself, but through thine own grace. And wherefore I ask thee, if thou wilt not come again on the earth. That that verse there is packed. Yeah, it is. Um, well, he's asking him if he'll come again on the earth, and then he steps back for a minute and re recognizes who God is and his majesty. Thou art God, and I know thee, and thou hast sworn unto me that, um, that if I ask in the name of thine only begotten, and that thou hast made me, and given unto me a right to thy throne. Is, is he talking as all mankind? Do you think? Like, in, in you made right. me as a man, so I have a right to his throne? Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I was just thinking about taking a picture of you, and this is a really good picture. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot get somebody to focus today. <laughs> this is so nice out here. I look over, and Corey's like doodling with crayons on a color. Kyler's pretty. So pretty. John Enoch City. No. So, is he? I wonder if that when he says, "Thou hast made me and given unto me a right to thy throne," if he's speaking as all, like all mankind, like we are created. And we have a, a right to be in heaven with him, like because then he goes on to, you know, he talks about the resurrection and that the saints came out of the prison house and stood at God's right hand. Right, right. Well, that's but a good but the last question he says is, will you will you not come again on the earth? Right. And the Lord said unto Enoch, as I live, even so I will come in the last days, in the days of wickedness and vengeance to fulfill the oath which I made unto you concerning the children of Noah. And the day shall come that the earth shall rest, but before that day the heavens will be darkened, and a veil of darkness shall cover the earth, and the heavens shall shake, and also the earth. And great tribulations shall be among the children of men, but my people will I preserve, and righteousness will I send down out of heaven, and truth will I send forth out of the earth to yes. bear testimony of mine only begotten, his resurrection from the dead, yea, and also the resurrection of all man. Now, is that referring to the Book of Mormon, do you think? Well, it's timely. This morning, uh, I was reading in Mormon's writings in the fourth chapter of Mormon and noticed this really cool chiasm, which um, I just spent some time pondering. And the whole chapter reflects around this, I think everything in here, the, the promise of the new Jerusalem, the, this truth coming out of the earth, the, the restoration of Israel, it's, it's all tied together in, in this righteousness and truth that's gonna sweep the earth. Let me just read a couple of these uh, chapters here in Mormon. Now he's taking my picture. <laughs> Give me with my scriptures in my hand. All right, so this, uh, I, th I thought this was really interesting. So uh, Moroni is actually writing, it's in the fourth chapter of Mormon, that uh, he even starts out sadly that his father has been slain in battle. But there's like four references in this chapter to truth coming out of the earth. I just want to focus on that for a second. Sure. So he, he, Mormon has been keeping the records. Now their plates are in Moroni's hands. And he says, no one's gonna have these to get gain, but the record thereof is of great worth, and whoso shall bring it to light, him will the Father bless. So I'm reading in Mormon, the fourth chapter, at verse 18. And no one can have power to bring it to light, save it be given him of God. For God will, it shall be done <clears throat> with an eye single to his glory, or for the welfare of the ancient and long dispersed covenant people of the Lord, or and for the dispersed people. And then it says, um, Blessed be him that shall bring this to light, for it shall be brought forth out of darkness unto light, according to the word of God. It shall be brought out of the earth, and it shall shine forth 
out of darkness and come to the knowledge of the people. And it should be done by the power of God. So, so when he's talking about this, it's going back to Genesis where it's saying, hey, truth is going to come forth out of the earth. Well, Mormon says this in this, I'm just going to tell you the verses. Verse 21, he says, it'll be brought forth out of the earth. And then in verse 28, he says, the saints that have gone before me who've possessed this land shall cry even from the dust as the Lord liveth. And he will remember the covenant which he had made with him. So it's like the record comes out of the earth. Then he compares it to the voice and the prayers of the people who, who's like their voice comes out of the dust of the earth. There's a parallel here. And then he states, uh, so that was verse 28. And then in verse 32, um, he says, uh, no one needs to say these words won't come and these prayers won't be fulfilled, for they surely shall, for the Lord has spoken it, for out of the earth shall they come by the hand of the Lord, and none can stay it. So that's verse 32 and 33 of the same chapter. And then, and I just wrote these down like an hour before he got here. Huh. And then um, in verse 96 and 102, he says, um, now he says of his own words, Moroni writes, he says, Behold, I speak unto you as though I spake from the dead, and you'll have these words. So, again, he's adding his prayers to the prayers of the saints like Enos who prayed for the people, the, the words coming forth from the dust of the earth. And finally, uh, he, it's interesting because he zeroes in on these very words, and he says, these words, which we call the Reformed Egyptian, if we could have written in Hebrew, it would have been better, but he zeroes in on this very record. So he starts saying, hey, this record's going to come forth from the earth. Our prayers are coming forth like, like the prayers of the dead from the earth. He said, this record, which was written in Hebrew, is going to be that record. And then he, he concludes and says, um, behold, all these things which we have desired even the restoration of our brethren to a knowledge of Christ is according to the prayers of all the saints who have dwelt on this land. And so the, the prayers of the saints are the thing that come from the dust of the earth. So anyhow, I just thought it was so cool mm. that all these things combine together and it's part of this fulfilling of the covenant. So when the righteousness and truth sweep the earth like a flood, you know, it's part of this truth. It, it, it I guess the catalyst for it is this truth that comes forth out of the earth to make it happen. You know, when that, you know, Jesus is present, um, and the, the, this idea that Enoch's writings here come and they say, uh, hey, the heavens will be dark, uh, a veil of darkness over the earth. Yeah, you could think of that in a literal sense, but I think it's a spiritual sense, well, yeah. right? Right. right. And, and so, and so in the Book of Mormon, um, this was the other thing that I, I saw this morning, and just really timely, you wanted to talk about this, because in the third book of Nephi, chapter 9, the um, words of Jesus are written here, and he says these very things, but he explains it in an in interesting kind of chiasm. I won't go through it all. It's hard to talk about chiasms. It's easier to see them. Right. But this, <clears throat> this whole process that he shares is that the Gentiles on this land... Um, would be established. They would scatter this people. But when the Gentiles uh, have this word come to them and reject it, uh, and I, I'm going to read right here from 3 Nephi 9, starting around verse 66. But when the, when the Gentiles reject this, is the sign that all these things are going to start coming forth. Yeah, let's read this the exact phrase. In. I know we've talked about this before, but I, I need I need refreshing, and I, I never get tired of hearing about what's going on right now. <laughs> yeah, and, and so <clears throat> and, and to kind of frame this again, this is in a big chiasm where it's like it starts off with some of these words and it ends with these same words, and it it's just amazing how how this is written just from a just from the Hebrew standpoint. But nevertheless, thirty-five well, nine. <clears throat> are you going to bring out like the the, do you know what the main point is before it starts backing out the chiasm? Like yeah. what's it all leading up to? Yeah, so he, here I actually uh, printed this off. I worked on this the other day. Um, and this is neat once again. Like we, I, you know, we don't talk about what we're going to talk about other than no. we know we're going to finish on Zion. But I didn't really even think about Enoch until I was pulling up here and I thought, I want to find that scripture. Yeah, yeah. And that's the... <clears throat> and then you were already studying this this morning, which yeah. is... Yeah. <laughs> that phrase of coming out, he also, you know, that's used a lot also like the the blood of the saints from the ground, like cry out from the ground uh, for justice and things. That That's like a 
common um, phraseology, I guess. Yeah. Things coming out of the ground to, as God, I guess it's like God's remembering what has happened. Mm-hmm. Well, let me point out one other thing I noticed in just doing a little scripture search. I was curious about the term New Jerusalem, not just Jerusalem, but New Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And New Jerusalem only occurs once in the inspired version Old Testament. It, it's not in the uh, King James Old Testament, but it's in this passage that you just read. He said, you know, this will be um, Zion, a New Jerusalem. Well, New Jerusalem is used in the Book of Mormon and where it, and it begins in some of these sections here too. There's several references in the, in the Book of Mormon to New Jerusalem uh, and they're basically Jesus' words in third book of Nephi and then Ether's words where we get the New Jerusalem. But this, um, the, the main points are that first this gospel that comes to the Gentiles would ultimately be rejected by the Gentiles. <clears throat> now you could, you know, that's kind of a, two parts. It could be the non-believers who never wanted to believe it, but it could also mean the believers who didn't ever really embrace it. Uh, but I'm not going to go to the, into those reasons. But nevertheless, um, Jesus says, 3 Nephi 9, 66. Um, actually, I should start at 65. He said, um, he says, after you are blessed. Now, he's Jesus' words to the Nephites. After you are blessed, then fulfills the covenant, you know, the father of the covenant which he made with Abraham, saying, in thy seed shall the kindreds of the earth be blessed. So he's saying, you guys are going to be blessed. He said, and then this is the other half of it. He said, unto the pouring out of the Holy Ghost through me upon the Gentiles. He said, which blessing on the Gentiles shall make them mighty above all unto the scattering of my people, O house of Israel, and they shall be a scourge unto the people of this land. So that's verse 65. And, and what we get in that is, hey, part of the covenant was that Abraham had this covenant with God that his children would, you know, be like the sands of the sea. Mm -hmm. They would have this blessing. And then Part of the blessing was that the very remnant of Lamanites, Nephites, whoever, were going to be blessed. But then the Gentiles were going to be blessed because of that same covenant. And it said it would make them mighty above all by the Holy Ghost, whether they recognize it or not. Our blessings, our technology, our lifestyle, everything comes because of God's blessing of the Holy Ghost. He said, and they are even going to scatter you. So Jesus is foretelling that you guys are going to be blessed, the Gentiles are going to be blessed, and they're going to come and scatter you guys. They'll be a scourge. But this is the warning in verse 66. Nevertheless, when they shall have received the fullness of my gospel, then if they shall harden their hearts against me, I will return their iniquities upon their own heads, saith the Father. Now, that's important because, you know, everything we see in the news and the politics and people kind of wring their hands about mm -hmm. what's happening in society, <laughs> it's, it's this. It's people rejecting not just, you know, the fullness of the gospel in terms of even uh, the, the Book of Mormon, but it, they're hardening their hearts against God. You know, we're becoming this godless society. You know, right. you can you can do any act of immorality with another person and have people celebrate that in their coffee shops, putting flags up, you know, right. and all that for months at a time. And that's okay, even though that's this direct assault on God and the values he's given us. So he said, so we're living through this right now, I think. Hey, But he says, if you harden your hearts against me, I'm going to return your iniquities on your own heads. And then I will remember the covenant which I have made with my people and I've covenanted with them that when I would, that I would gather them together in my own due time, that I would give unto them again the land of their fathers for their inheritance, which is the land of Jerusalem, which is the promised land unto them forever. So part of this is referring to the Jews and scattered Israel. And, and, and all this is triggering when the Gentiles begin to re reject God and his, his values, right? Yeah. And we, we know from history, if, if you wonder who the Gentiles are, I mean, is, is there anything in American history where we see a group of people are scattered by another group of people? And, I mean, yeah. that's America, right? When, when, the, when the settlers came over and, and the Indians, quote, Indians were, uh, I did air quotes so nobody could see it, um, <laughs> the Indians were, you know, pushed around and given little parcels of land. And, and uh, when my wife and I, we go up to Rapid City, South Dakota, a couple of times a year, once uh, we just love it up there and it's a day's, easy day's drive. But when we come home, we like to stay off the highway and we go through all the back roads on the way home. And we go through a lot of Indian reservation and 
man, the poverty, the even today, the poverty and the, the houses and things they live in. Um, we've done a, you know, we've done urban development and, and revitalization. And there's even in Kansas City, you can go and you can see some really nice houses that are, are government based where, you know, based on your income, you can live there fairly cheap and Section 8 housing and things for for a lot of groups of people. But when you look at the Indian lands, they're just some of the poorest um, places I've ever been through. And even to stop in a gas station, you know, and, and those areas and to see the people come in and out, it's uh, it's just a really sad place. It, it You can see the sadness there. Um, and you know, I'm, not, I'm not even trying to imagine that. It just, I've just, when you pull up, you can see it. It's a, it's a poor place. So you see that these people were, if they were the remnants of the Lamanites, they certainly were scattered by the white man or the Gentiles that came over. Yeah, yeah. And it's like there's a parallel between the problems that you're describing in the Native American culture today for social and spiritual reasons, likely. But um, it's like it was the same thing back in the days of Nephi. He's observing the the moral decay of his brother's families and how they're increasing because of their faith in God. At least at times that was the case. But um, just for even this week, you know, as we're talking here in uh, it's July, uh, friends of mine are out <coughs> at a Navajo reservation and to bring ministry. And, um, you know, they were describing some of the conditions that they found there before, you know, uh, just immorality, a lot of people living together for various reasons, um, not even an awareness of sin. And in these people who are there right now this week to bring ministry, uh, overnight someone broke into one of the cars and tried to steal it. And it's like, you know, I thought about, we don't get a lot of the details of the hardships that Alma and Abinadi and Helaman and others who go out, the brothers, <clears throat> the sons of Mosiah, who go out intentionally among the Lamanites, but it said, hey, they suffered much and they, you know, they in thirst and fatigue and hunger, and you read about them getting tied up, but you know, they probably had their favorite goat hair backpack stolen for by the Lamanites, you know, things yeah. things like that. And it's like even our people right now that they're going out to try to bring God's word and they're you know, it's it's like they're finding the same sin and vices in the society. That's interesting what you said, because uh, we think of bringing the gospel you know, we've always had this thought that, you know, we should be bringing the gospel to the the Lamanites or the remnant of, of the Nephites. And when when we talk about doing that, when you're dealing with a group of people, I mean, we, we want to like bring, oh, here's the Book of Mormon. This is talking yeah. about you guys. But, yeah, we'll but, solve all your problems. But, the, but it's <laughs> like when you're trying to talk to a, a group of people that don't even recognize sin, mm-hmm. like don't recognize like, there's a set of laws and a set of, set way of living that's given by an authority higher than us, and this is how our Creator has intended us to live, so that we can thrive and flourish and and be healthy on the outside as well as in the inner man, yeah. you know, spiritually right. and society. When 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 that's not even uh, a part of the culture then you, you got to rethink your whole way of doing missionary work. Amen. And, you know, and that was in the Book of Mormon, too. It's like these young men who begged to go among the Lamanites, and it's as if the elders were saying, you got to realize what you're going to confront here, right? What you're, <laughs> what you're asking for. Right. Uh, these people aren't going to be receptive. And it's like the same thing today. But w- this it kind of gives me chills to think about that. The same hardships then were what they faced, that the missionaries faced, are what we're facing it's just manifest sometimes in a little different ways, but it's the same, like you say, a heart that doesn't know God, a heart that doesn't have any awareness of sin. That's the same place where like when you read like Ammon among the Lamanites and King Lamoni and all these, he's like, well, let me start out. There's a God. He said, you know, God, he goes, I don't know. I've heard of a great spirit. He goes, well, that's God. And then, Mm -hmm. and then he, he gets them to the point where they've got to realize there is this authority, like you say, but then also, we don't get all the details of the conversation, but by the conclusion, when the, when the king says, Ammon says there's a God, I will give away all my sin to know you. Somehow, his message was compelling enough that A, he recognized God existed, and he recognized that his sin was the barrier to know him, and he didn't want his sin anymore. 
And I think that's the message that we got to start with, with anyone, but especially them. It's not just, well, in 1830, Joseph went yeah, to right, Grove right. and, you know, this and that and the other. And we got these plates. It's like, you know, I mean, that's the story, too. It's like, but we have to tell them, your forefathers were in the same situation. And it wasn't until they were willing to give away their sin that their hearts changed. But your forefathers are the ones who wrote these records. And they became more righteous than any people when they came to God. And we're, we white men, if you will are the benefactors of that. And we're here to tell you about what your forefathers knew. They knew their hearts had to change. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the prophecy for the future, which I think comes back to the Book of Mormon, the words we're reading right now, is that the covenant is when the Gentiles who got all pompous about, you know, oh, well, you know, I, I won't go there, but nevertheless rejecting God, said that's the sign that all this is gonna come back. And the difference now is that it will sweep through their hearts this righteousness and change their hearts. And, and then the rest of these prophecies begin to be fulfilled. Yeah, besides, besides Jesus coming back, that, that's the other uh, thing that continually comes to my mind that's exciting is seeing uh, a group of people just changed in the inner man like uh, like we've probably never seen before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like coming back to the to the Lord and then and and then the, to such an extent that it says they'll you know they'll be they'll build up this new Jerusalem exactly and that we can be numbered among them and assist if we repent. So that's the other thing is <clears throat> you know when when a baby is I've studied child development and things especially working with the young, young, the younger uh, kids growing up feel safe when there's rules and boundaries, mm -hmm. knowing that they're there, even though they they may cry when you tell them no, or they want to insert their will and you have to insert your will for the sake of their safety. Uh, they may cry or throw a tantrum, but in the long run and in the big picture, uh, it's comforting to them to know that there is a set boundaries and a set way to act. Yeah. yeah. So. Imagine a group of people that don't have that spiritually or anything coming to a knowledge that there is a creator and he has set down a, a laws and rules and, and the way, you know, to follow those things. Um, not having grown up in that culture to, to be able to understand that must be a, a comforting thing to them. I, we think you're free to, you know, sin is freedom and you can do whatever you want, but imagine the, well, we know the effects of sin are just so damaging, whether you acknowledge there's a God or not, you still experience the effects of sin in so many ways. You know, a sad, hopeless culture yeah. where it's just an existence and it's all of a sudden. Hollow. Yeah. Yeah. So to, to say, look, man, there's a great spirit. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard of that. I mean, even today with the Gentiles, look where we're going, where even if you don't believe in a certain religion, this or that, you know, can you meet people today and say, there is a greater, higher power that has given us a way to live. Mm -hmm. Do you want to know about that? And I don't know, but boy, we are seeing the, um, the decay of the Gentiles right now, moving away from that great spirit where, yeah. where there's just no, no obedience, no higher power, no authority, no right and wrong. And so when you, I guess the third Nephi nine talks a lot about what the Gentiles are going to be doing in the last days, right? And yeah. Yeah. And the, you know, what you said about, you know, these people being coming righteous, this is the fulfilling of the prophecy and in the restoration, I think this is the problem of our paradigm is that we've told a story about Zion but yet we've left this part of the covenant out of it. We, we kind of, I think we just tell a Gentile version of, oh, well, if we only understand Enoch City, it's kind of like, well, righteousness and truth, you know, the world's going to be dark, the righteousness and truth going to come down, there's going to be Zion, and so come join us because we're going to build Zion. But the, the details of the story are told in the Book of Mormon, right? where it's like, okay, the the reason for all that is the, the darkness happens with the very people God blessed with his spirit who turn away from him. That's this veil of darkness. That's the Gentiles in verse 65. Right, and, or we try to change the story that we're, that we're really the literal house of Israel. Yeah, and yeah, so, yeah, yeah. We haven't defined right. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, this house of Israel, the, it's, it's defined by spiritual boundaries and also blood, literal DNA boundaries. There's blessings for both. And we get 
coupled in by the spiritual blessing, but there's a promise to the lineage as well. And so here he's, he kind of talks to both. So back in 3 Nephi 9, where we were talking about this covenant to gather, that's talking to all of Israel. And he says, I'm going to give the land of their fathers for their inheritance, which is the land of Jerusalem. That's the, the old land, which is the promised land unto them forever, saith the Father. But he continues in verse 69, And it shall come to pass that the time cometh when the fullness of my gospel shall be preached among them, and they shall believe in me that I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and shall pray to the Father in my name. Then shall their watchmen lift up their voice, and together shall they sing. And he continues to quote Isaiah. Well, what's interesting is this. He leads up into verse 73, says, Then the Father hath made bare his holy arm under the eyes of the nations, and all the earth shall see the salvation of God. That scripture is quoted six times or more in the Book of Mormon. I just found this out last night. All this, mm. your work and my work, I think it's all converging here on the deck this morning in the last couple of days, because it's quoted like six different times. And, and what's interesting is that Jesus uses it two different times here in, in 3 Nephi 9, and this begins kind of the point of this chiasm of this of these scriptures of his words as well. But he says, hey, when Jerusalem, when those people hear the gospel and come back to God, you know, re realizing Jesus was the Savior, the Messiah, um, and they are going to sing eye to eye, he said, then the scripture that Isaiah is going to, that wrote, will be fulfilled. And and it was it was the same question that, King Noah's people asked Abinadi, hey, well, tell us what the scripture means about how beautiful on the mountains are going to be their feet. And so Abinadi later explains that's the fulfilling of the covenant that this God who became flesh, that's the reason they killed Abinadi. He said he comes back and all the salvation, all the earth will see his salvation. That's, and he said, and that's what the scripture means. That's when people are going to talk about how beautiful on the mountains are the people that are talking about the fact bringing the news that Jesus reigns, that he's here on earth. So it's like, this is the part of this gospel story now that we, we need to realize is the details of the covenant. Gentiles fall away. Israel returns to God by hearing the word. The people on this land who are scattered, they're going to get their turn. And all this is when God is making his arm bare or is showing his power to the nations. And so... When he, uh, jumping down a little bit, um, so starting in verse 80, I, I found this kind of cool chiasm. I just want to share the bullet points of it mm -hmm. before we talk about it. So in verse 80, we get this scripture uh, about the gathering design. And, and it's something that probably everyone's heard. It says, go you out of the midst of her, be clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. You shall not go out with haste, nor by flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel shall be your rearward. Now, this is quoting Isaiah. Mm -hmm. So that's 3 Nephi 9, 8, saying how God's going to be leading people. Um, this is in a day to come. You know, we talk about, oh, people are gathering design by moving to Jackson County. But, but that's not this event yet. This is something for the future when there's this mighty sweeping through the earth to bring people back who are turning to him wherever they're at on the earth. Well... The end of this chiasm is in 3 Nephi 10, verse 8, where it's the same scripture, where Jesus is saying again, they shall go out from all nations. They shall not go out in haste nor by flight. I will go before them. I will be their rearward. And, and so these are like bookends on this. And what the bookends are, that's what I like about chiasms, is that they build into the middle so you get the main message. Mm -hmm. So 3 Nephi 9 starting like in verse, well, in, in the 80s and 90s, is you you start to learn the details of the judgment on the Gentiles. And so jumping up to verse 90-92, Jesus is now speaking to the Nephites. He said, I'm going to give you guys a sign so you know what's, what's going to happen. He said, when this work, verse 91, shall come forth from the Gentiles to your seed, which shall dwindle in unbelief because of iniquity... You know, this is interesting how Jesus is already foretelling our day. He said, when the day comes that these words come back to your people who have fallen away, they were scattered, they've fallen away. 92 says that if the Gentiles will not harden their hearts, that they may repent and come unto me. He said, they'll know my two points of doctrine. And these things, 
you know, it shall come to pass that your seed will know these things too. But he, he then jumps ahead and says in verse 101, But woe unto the Gentiles, except they repent. For it shall come to pass in that day, I will cut off their horses, destroy their chariots, cut off their cities, throw down their strongholds, cut off the witchcrafts, the graven images, all these things go away. They won't worship the work of their own hands. And he says, and I will even destroy their cities. It shall come to pass all lines, deceivings, envying, strifes, priestcrafts, whoredoms shall be done away. Now this is interesting because what we get is the Gentiles who had the gospel reject it, and that's the signpost that it goes back to Israel, both the Jews and the people on this land. And then to the people on this land, Jesus says, um, you know, I'm going to cleanse your land, and the evil is going to go away. And then, this is where we come into chapter 10, so the cities, it's interesting, the parallel is that the cities, because of evil, will be destroyed, but chapter 10 begins with, but when the people turn to God of this land, the remnant of this land, he said, then a city will be built, a city of righteousness. See, the parallel is the cities of evil were destroyed, but a city of righteousness comes forth. And Jesus specifically says, um, he says, but if they repent, the Gentiles, and hearken unto my words, and harden not their hearts, I'll establish my church among them. And they will come into the covenant and be numbered among this, the remnant of Jacob, unto whom I have given this land for their inheritance. So this is important that we see the promise was always made to Joseph's descendants on this land, that this was their land. Um, it's kind of like if you had a, a family um, a farm, like my family had homesteaded in Michigan, and uh, my great aunt just passed away a few years back. She was 103 but her family, she married in my uncle. Uh, my aunt was uh, married into the family. But she was the last surviving member of the generation of grandparents and parents and children who were the homesteaders of that original land. And the, the, back in the 1800s, when some of my family came down through Canada, they had originally come from Ireland, they, um, they had that family land there for generations and they were building up the homes they were plowing the land they were taking out the stumps and all stuff and it remained in their land forever well i i've driven by that land in, in recent <clears throat> years and it's like it used to be my family's land and i would still think of it that way because i knew the story i i knew that hey they lived there when that was indian country back in the day that they homesteaded literally right across the river from the indian reservation of, at the time but this is um Digressing a little bit, the point is that this was the covenant land of the Native Americans who are the remnant of Joseph, the descendants, and and God has not forgotten that was their land. And I could look on the land now and say, hey, if I still owned the deed to that land, which I don't, but just hypothetically if I did, and someone else built their house on that land that had been my father's and for his grandparents, I could say, hey, this isn't your land, this is my land, and here's the paperwork. But I don't have any such paperwork, but these people who are the remnant on this land don't know that God made a promise with their forefathers and, and wrote a deed to them that this still is their land. That's why mm -hmm. they are the ones who are going to build up the city, New Jerusalem, not the Gentiles who came <clears throat> to scatter them. That's why the Gentiles get numbered among them, because it's like their name is still on the deed. If that, you know. So we're all squatters. We're squatters. That's, that's it. That's it. You don't really, you don't think of it like no. that because, but our, our, our current nation here is so young. Yeah. I mean, it's such a young, we, we were watching a show the other night on Ireland and I, I told my wife, I would like to travel someday just to a, you know, to a country where the things I look at are more than a few hundred years old, mm -hmm. you know, a thousand years old mm -hmm. or 2000 years old mm -hmm. structures mm -hmm. like Rome the Colosseum, um, in Ireland, there's, there's such a history there and, and our current history is so recent. And we think our history starts with our quote discovery of the land. Right. Yeah. Hey, and look at all this stuff. Look right. At all these highways yeah, we yeah. Built, you and they're finding things that are from the Mayan cultures, the, the, geez, the engineering and things that still work today, the waterways and things they built to, 
you know, to even fertilize the land. I, I watched a video the past week of in down in Peru, and there's just, there's there's things here that are much older, but we're just now discovering them. Yeah, in that they find this connection between the the engineering of mm -hmm. things down in Peru and the things that are discovered in North America, and just the fact that there's consistency in that meant that there had to be common <coughs> trade routes, but also even common governments or communication between them, and, and that's what. The brother of Jared was told is that when they came to this land, they would become a nation. They said none greater. You know, I mean, it shows that eventually they came to this. These Americas, North and South, were unified at some point. You know, and then they fell away. They all fell away. Yeah, maybe one of the, I guess, the differences on this continent is civilizations were lost. Where there's other places where they weren't lost. It was continuous, like. You know, the, some of the structures in Rome are from long ago, but they weren't they weren't buried, or you know, the civilization right, wasn't right, completely right. wiped out. Right, right. So it's, and, a, it's a con, um, you know, congruous history, congruent, congruent. Yeah, and, and it's like there's there's books where they say, oh well, this building was built, but it's on the foundation of a building that was 800 years old, and it's below that, and below that there's another foundation. How they just build on top, and it's like we know the details of this history, but that's the kind of the fallacy of American history is that we're just told to believe, oh, there wasn't any history here before. We, no, one ever, no one really knows what these mounds and all that were about. The Native Americans, we're not sure how they got here, but it's like you can point to every people, every subculture within cultures anywhere else in the world, and you can say, this is where they came from. We know the routes, we know their origins, but they just act like, eh, there's this mystery about the Native Americans. That was all a lie put forth by the original curators of the Smithsonian who, for the very reasons of their godless ideas, decided that it would be easier to put forth this idea that, A, the Native Americans were savages, and um, the, because, you know, the early explorers never described them in those terms. They said, these are peaceful people, their language is beautiful, you know, we're, we're having harmony with them. And it's like, how do you take away their lands when they're good people, right? But nevertheless, um, this promise, uh, back to these, this little chiasm here, I just want to read the bullet points of it before yeah, I go yeah, back yeah. into the scriptures. This is... So, between 3 Nephi 9, 80, and 3 Nephi 10, verse 8, there's this cool chiasm, and these are the bullet points. So, God will go before and be the rearward. Those are the, the bookends of this. But beyond that, we get... The remnant of Jacob will be among the Gentiles like a beast in the forest. And then we get how the remnant, and this remnant was the one who were scattered by the Gentiles. But then we get how because of this remnant has come to God, they go out and they start gathering the dispersed back to them. So that it's like the Gentiles who scattered the remnant, that remnant comes to power, and then they become doing the work of the gathering of, of other people. You know, that's this is remnant of Jacob in Zion, and we assist. So... In verse 100, the Gentiles are now scattered by the remnant, right? Who, it says, the Lord will, uh, their hand, these, the remnant will be like a lion in the, in the, among the beasts of the forest, a young lion among the flocks of sheep, who if he goes through, both treadeth down and teareth in pieces, none can deliver. He said, their hand shall be lifted up on their adversaries, and all their enemies shall be cut off. That's this remnant that was scattered by the Gentiles, now they have power over the Gentiles. Well, then we see that among the Gentiles, because evil was present, the soothsayers, the liars, the witchcrafts, the whoredoms, all this, then we see in 3 Nephi 10 verse 4, the power of heaven comes down, and he says, and Jesus will be in the midst. So, so we have this time of wickedness, this dark veil over the land, but then we get this time of bright light. Jesus is present, right? So again, there's a there's the contrast of the the evil of the Gentiles that is paralleled with the brightness of Christ's return to the people to manage this work of gathering. We get the news in verse thirty five nine verse one hundred and one about the cities being destroyed, like we discussed. Well, in thirty five ten verse one hundred two, we read about a city being built the city uh, of this new Jerusalem that would be built up on this land. And what's interesting is that the center of this chiasm has everything to do with our repentance. And it says, it shall come to pass, this is verse 106, 
if the Gentiles don't repent at that day, that whosoever will not repent and come unto my beloved son, then will I cut off them, rather, will I cut off from among my people, O house of Israel, and I will execute vengeance and fury upon them, even as upon the heathen, such as they have not heard. So he's saying the, the worst things you've ever read about a history in a history book, you know, of in this world of bad things people have had to endure, he said, what's coming is going to be worse than that if they mm. don't repent. But 3 Nephi 10.1 says, but if they will repent and harden not their hearts, I'm going to establish my church among them. So there's this promise in the future. Either it's all based on our repentance, that either the Gentile nations don't repent and they're all judged and, and they all endure harsher things than anything that was dished out by Gentiles to the house of Israel. But if they do repent, God's arm is outstretched still. So it's like, again, in his promises, it's like 3 Nephi 9 tells of all the evil that we're going to face. But 3 Nephi 10 tells the remedy or the antidote to all of it is that there will be a city and Jesus is going to be in the midst. The power of heaven will come down. And that day is the day when the work commences. Begins. Begins. Yeah. To, to lead these people back. And, and so... When I look at Third Nephi nine and see that, I think it's really cool. Well, so then when we were talking earlier, Mormon four describes the details of this, and it all has to do with these words coming forth out of the earth to be the truth, and this becomes the antidote to um, the problems of the land. See the parallel too in this passages where sometimes people remember, oh, doesn't the Book of Mormon talk about there being pollutions on the land? You know, there, and it's like, he said, it'll be a time of great pollutions. Well, the pollutions is actually used in the Bible, in the Hebrew, and it's not talking about, you know, um, chemicals in our waterway or, or landfills or trash along the side of the road. I mean, yeah, it could, but in the Hebrew sense, the pollutions were the, the wickedness in the hearts of our people, which is exactly what Genesis 7 is talking about. It says, hey, there's going to be this day of darkness and all this evil on the earth. Well, Moroni is writing, and he's saying, hey, it's going to come in a day where there's great pollutions on the land. And, and then what he starts to describe isn't trash collected by the side of the road. He's, he, he's talking about the, the wickedness and where this is at. You know, he, he even calls the people pollutions later. He says, Oh, ye pollutions, you hypocrites, you teachers which sell yourselves for that which will canker. Why have you polluted the holy church of God? Why have you transfigured the word of God, right? So he's, he's, he's using that word pollution to describe the spiritual state of, of people. The antidote, again, is this word, though, that comes forth out of the earth. And so... I just think we have this treasure in our hand that, uh, I don't know, almost daily, I guess, I, I just realize what can we do to get the truth of this word? Not just telling people, hey, we've been restored and we're the true church, but how can we teach these principles to people so that they can understand these promises that God has made and what they really hinge on, you know? Uh, they, they hinge on the word going back to the remnant of Israel. That's, that's the trigger point to all this. When uh, we talk about the Gentiles scattering, I'm, I'm looking at it from, you know, North America, United States. But also, you know, people came over to Central and South America, mm -hmm. uh, the Spanish con conquistadors, yeah. conquerors, and did a number on the people then, correct? There were more more people killed in like the 1,400, 1,500 people in South America than were killed in the Holocaust. You know, and, and we don't, history books don't really point that out. That has to be part of this prophecy then. Exactly. And, and almost anywhere in the world where you see like major genocide, I think almost the recipients of the bad stuff are probably House of Israel because we sometimes think the Jews were the only ones who suffered, you know, because of the Holocaust in our recent history. And the, the Jews were scattered, you know, that one single tribe of 12 brothers was Judah but the other 11 tribes were, even Joseph's tribe, you know, the tribe here, all suffered in the hands of Gentiles. And that was kind of this plight through time. But that's why this antidote is when the word comes back to them, their hearts turn to God and he fulfills all these covenants that are thousands of years old. 
to them the ones that suffered so so harshly in the hands of Gentiles, you know. And it's like Rwanda, you know, we see places in Africa where people have just been, you know, suffering the same way. Uh, I have no doubt that these people are remnants of, of Israel as well, you know, all through the world. That's, yeah, that's crazy. The, the Well, right now there's a, at the Union Station in Kansas City, there's a display, uh, Auschwitz. Uh, my wife and oh, I got really? tickets to go at the end of um, August. Um, but the Holocaust, at least in our minds, is is fresh, and we've all seen movies and you know Schindler's List, and and we've seen video and, and terrible things that happened by the Germans, and then to think that even more of that in greater numbers happened right here on this land, but it's not nearly as documented. Or well, of course it was. <laughs> He wouldn't have video, right, in the 1400s, but it's not nearly as well known or even thought about. That's so that has to be even maybe you know probably even the bigger picture of the the Gentiles scattering the remnant what happened down there. Exactly, exactly. I I believe so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not nearly as many Native Americans died in the hands of European settlers in North America, even though anyone to die is atrocious. But yeah, down there, it was like, I read in this one um, area, it was like something the size of a county that there were over a, like a million people who lived there. And within like a year, don't quote me on that, it was some time frame like that. There were only like 50 people left because they just wiped everyone out, you know, like a 60 square mile area or something, not very big. And so, um, but that story repeated itself. Um, but again, the saving part is that the words of the forefathers written in this record are like the words coming forth out of the earth, the, the voices from the dust. And God hasn't forgotten those prayers that his, the remnant of those people will come back to a knowledge of truth and know how to come to God. That's got to be the, the forefront of our mind when we're talking about Zion and the New Jerusalem is is what you said that that was a great picture of your family's land in Michigan that God has promised a group of people this land before our current generations being here and to watch those people thrive and then take possession of all of this again is going to be um, amazing but also um, it seems precluding the actual city of Zion or at the same time mm -hmm. coming forth. And if the words are confusing, I think it's because of paradigms we've built up. I just encourage anyone, if, if you want to form your picture of how Zion is going to be established, you got to put blinders onto a lot of things you hear, it, it, whether it's someone's testimony or someone's dream or whatever. I mean, there's a place for that. But come back and read what it says in the Book of Mormon first. And, and even put just aside for a little bit things that people oh we are by the airport <laughs> <laughs> good grief uh, anyhow um, so this idea that Zion is just this thing that was a promise to people who found the restored gospel as far as the church and us Gentiles and that you know we gathered independence and it's just, we're kind of just waiting on God to put things together so we can get onto building this city. Um, that's sort of the story we tell ourselves, but if we leave out all this covenant of the Book of Mormon, we're not telling the story correctly. And the, the greater part of the story, you know, it's like, I mean, I hate to say this because I always grew up feeling like, hey, you know, our job is we're supposed to build the kingdom. Well, we say that, but our job really was to take the pure word of God back to the people who it came from and that the blessings of the city being built aren't fulfilled until their hearts turn back to God. That's the, that's the missing piece of the puzzle, you know, to all this. And so we've had more than a generation of people who feel like, well, we're just supposed to be the church and we're going to build Zion and Zion's going to come down to heaven. And, you know, last time I know we talked a little bit about I mean, I have questions when I read scripture. I'm trying to reconcile it. You know, 
does Enoch City come down at the beginning of the millennium or the end of the millennium? You know, it's like, I, I don't know. There's different ways to read it. When men keep all my commandments, you know, we sort of saw that, hey, if we could just be good enough, we'd have Zion. But I really think it's more just describing the condition that, hey, there's going to be this time when right. Jesus is in our midst and we're going to figure out how to live by his ways and walk in his paths. And then we'll keep, keep the commandments. And that's when heaven and earth join together. Yeah, I, knowing the the correct story and the bigger picture to me gives hope and a greater foundation. But, you know, we are still preaching and it's still being preached and taught that we have to learn how to be righteous and build a righteous city and live by you know, God's commands so that so that Enoch City will come back and and that our hope is in in the temple and gathering all of the land, buying the lands and gathering. That's that's still a lot of times the primary message. And it's a good thought to live and keep all the commandments of God. Uh, but but uh, like you say, we go away kind of rejected sometimes. Like we just got, we've got to do better. We got to do better. Mm -hmm. It's like, how's that working out? Is People can't work. That's, you know, it's kind of easy to perpetuate from the pulpit, too. It's kind of like you can always get up there and say, hey, if you would have been better, you know, just try to be better, come back next week. You know, it's like you keep telling that story, but it's like the, the, the scriptures give us this pattern to how to live harmoniously and, and how to have our hearts changed. And it's like that's what's always got to happen first, no matter what anyone is. It's not just because God appointed us. So none of these things happen until righteousness sweeps the earth and it has to sweep through our hearts too you know and that that day hasn't isn't upon us obviously but um but the the more part is like i think we need to learn how nephi lived where 600 years before jesus you know he's not saying hey we're just hoping for zion to come for you know if we can be righteous enough zion's going to be here he says no our hope is in christ we we, we talk of Christ, we preach of Christ, we teach Christ to our children so that they can know the way of salvation and have that immediate happiness now that is an eternal, solid foundation and let the covenants be fulfilled when they are. But but not just string people along in the sec sense that, well, you just aren't good enough, that's why we don't have Zion. And and so it's, it's like, it's a totally different story. So anyhow, I, I just sort of wish for our people that we could come back to the covenants, the understanding that are given in the Book of Mormon, and realize those were first and foremost. No matter what anyone else in our day saw or said or spun about it, that we realize that these were Jesus' words telling the process by which Zion comes back. Now, you talk about buying up all land. I thought about this. You know, if 3 Nephi 9 is fulfilled where um, God's going to like cleanse the land, the land will be for sale really cheap, and maybe we can afford it then, mm. you know. But I, I say that in jest. My, I, I just think, you know, in in a way that some of the details, hey, buy up all the land west of the courthouse and all that stuff, it still paints a narrow picture of what Zion is, this idea that it's, it's, it's not a little enclave, you know, a little dot on a map right here. And then, you know, we can kind of see from one end to the other. And the good guys, you know, who are our buddies at our congregation all got in. And, you know, it's like this is God's fulfillment of promises from the beginning to draw anyone who will unto him. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and gather people from that don't even know who they are from around the earth. That's this idea too, where it says two will be at the mill, one will be taken, one will be left, two will be in the field. See that this day when God says, I'm gonna go before you and be your rearward, that's this miraculous gathering design from around the world that was, you know, combining other aspects of scripture to this, that uh, when the says kings are gonna shut their mouths, they aren't gonna understand what's going mm -hmm. on. You know, when God makes his arm bare. So all right take us fun. out brother hey um i don't know how to do it on the deck usually we have music playing and i say something to music can you sing a little bit no can you, can not doing hum, that. hum your song a little bit and i'll <laughs> say something do, 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 yeah. do. all right well it's been good to visit with you and the sun is just coming up over the trees it's been a beautiful day and uh, might go for a walk later and i'll think about how someday when this gospel goes out 
and the work commences, that uh, there will be a lot of people walking each other home. Amen.